captured Master Callista, we have been betrayed. The War Master has turned for the life of the Emperor. No, it cannot be. Why would Horus do this? He has fallen to darkness. He must flee the system. Take these four remembrances to Terra. They carry word of this heresy. The navigators tell me the war is in turmoil. We will be ripped apart. We cannot do this. You must have faith in your ship, my old friend. Your service will be remembered. We will carry word and ensure the galaxy knows of the War Master's treachery. And when we can, we will send the Legion to reclaim your sarcophagus. Only in death will duty end. Hello everyone and uh, welcome to this uh, last holiday special um, and uh, I am tonight joined by uh, one of my usual co-hosts Chris. Good evening. How are we all? And we've also got James Turner uh, from up in Scotland. Hello. And Tom Whitbrook from down you're in the Midlands now aren't you? I'm from the Midlands. I'm now in London in exile. Oh, London exile. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, at least you've not uh, run away from London as well, like everybody else seems to do. I'm legally forbidden from running away from London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so uh, we're, we're here tonight and we're going to talk about being a hobby butterfly. So we're going to talk a bit about a few different systems that we like and then sort of get on to a general flow about what it's like to move between systems, paint different things and and what have you so i think we'll start with asking tom um what kind of what what other games other than heresy is he really a big fan of and is there anything he wants to delve into a little bit more yeah i could i could talk about loads to be honest um because i when i when i first started playing games workshop games back in 98 i got into 40k first and then branched out i think mm. like everybody into everything so back yeah. in the day, I played Fantasy, Necromunda, uh, BFG, Gorkamorka. So I'm really loving that re-release they're doing uh, <laughs> yeah. right now. That's very exciting. I played a little bit of everything. But when mm-hmm. I, like like a lot of people, there was a big gap in my hobbying time between like 2010 and probably late 2016, early 2017. And actually the game yeah. that I got back into initially wasn't a gw game at all it was um corvus belli's infinity which is a very small scale sort of like sci-fi skirmish war game that is so so different to what gw does even with some of its more skirmish narrative settings it was just kind of like that and i'll be honest with you the models look cool and the lie i told myself was at the time, it's like, look, it's just a small skirmish game, right? You're not getting back into 40k. You're not getting back into any of that shit. It doesn't um, matter what game it is. We've all told ourselves that lie at some point. It's, it's yeah. the lie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I told get, my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. I'll get one or two models. I won't get Conker's Deep. And then... <laughs> oh, yeah. I only need like, what, 10, 11 models to play this game? That's it. Job done. Easy. Yeah. 
just just to jump in there, Tom, and ask a quick question then, because this is something I think we'll probably come across when we talk about other systems too. But do you need a lot of models to play Infinity? No one needs a lot of models well, to play Infinity. The reason, the reason I ask is because if it's a if it's a skirmish game, it sounds like one of those games that is, and I, I use this phrase hesitantly, as expensive as you make it. In that, if you only need a handful of models to play, then everything else is kind of optional. Is that the the sort of setup for it? Yeah. The interesting thing about Infinity is definitely that um, well, most of the models are metal. They're produced out of Spain, but they're not too too much more expensive than like modern GW plastic. And they're they're very good quality. However, like if you've ever assembled like the Necro, the new Necromunda models where you're like attaching like a cigar to someone's face or something <laughs> with plastic glue, they're of that level of complexity usually. So it can be a bit of a nightmare. But yeah, like ten to the, like a horde army in that is twenty models at the very maximum. Like for some of like, um. And that's it really like and if you just pick one faction and sort of like one style of list or play style you're kind of okay mm. you're kind of okay but like most people what i did was buy that faction and then a bunch of variants for that faction and then a few different factions <laughs> and even though i've kind of like stopped playing that game at the moment and i'm focusing more on other things i still have boxes of unassembled miniatures as is the way as it's, it's the nature of any wargamer is you know there's at least one or two things from each game still in their wrapping still hidden away just for that occasion that you want to pick it up again and just think oh yeah let's let's go again mm-hmm. yeah, exactly just, uh, um, no I, I, yeah. I do like small skirmish, skirmish games you know don't get me wrong i do enjoy chucking 20-man units of things but um that's that's, that's something quite nice about sort of the you can always be a bit more characterful in a sort of small-scale skirmish games. Mm. Yeah, and I think they've definitely undergone a renaissance of sorting in the recent years. Yeah, I'm just looking at the models, actually, on, on the website, and they are cracking figures, actually. It's it's interesting. The, the renaissance of skirmish-style games, I think, has been coupled with... Um, the sort of, So there's, there's several markets that obviously miniatures games and miniatures companies are, are trying to cater for and on one end you've mm-hmm. got trying to get new fans into game systems with easy access easy to access easy to build miniatures um and at the other end of the scale you've got hobbyists like us who have been doing this for quite some time and who maybe have lower amounts of free time for a variety of reasons so maybe that you've got a family it may be that you work or a combination of the two yeah. and um Therefore, a skirmish game is what you can fit in to your free time, both in terms of, of painting and hobbying, but also in terms of being able to play several games of, of a small skirmish game in the same amount of time as it would take to set up and play a 3K, 30K game, for example. Um, oh, definitely. Uh, I, I also think there's a degree of some people can actually, um, you know, for, for some people, I think I'm thinking of yourself here in particular, James. Um, with your necromunda stuff you can take your painting that bit much further well that's that's another interesting one as well i think and and tom you've possibly found this with the with the skirmish stuff that you've worked on if if you're looking at fantastic pictures of stuff online and you do want to push your painting skills that much further it's far easier to do a one-off piece on a single character where you can go to town than it is to 
try and replicate that technique across 50 something space marines um but i think the other thing as well is that looking at a lot of the skirmish games there's a lot more variety in things like the textures and fabrics and materials that are represented on the models whereas when you look at um space marines or titans it's big huge armor plates so this is not a lot of scope necessarily for that going to town painting um and certainly from my point of view i one-offs are a lot less stressful because I don't have to worry about replicating something exactly across a squad or a an army. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent the summer painting 60 Mortec Guard for Age of Sigmar, so I've got fully into <laughs> batch painting. Oh, these, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm just quietly going through the internet thinking, oh, I quite like the look of those, quite like the look of those, because, yeah. Oh, that's so, dangerous. This, Tom, what have you yeah, done? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, no, right? It, it, the infinity models do look lovely and one thing i love about the actual images of them they're a very different painting style to most of what else is out there it's a very much a um it's a very different t- style of painting it's not heavy metal influenced at all no it's it's a lot of it's done by uh i think it, it's pronounced and hell heraldes like who's oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i've got a book of it actually somewhere yeah and it's very it's kind of like slightly anime-ish inspired but also slightly yeah. more realistic so like guns it's, generally aren't metallic right if you look at the the gun and infinity model on it in any pictures like it's like sort of like black polymer or something like that or, or like it's great sort of a, sort of what, what i'd call like a 2000 ad kind of um sort of color scheme. yeah yeah so um, and, and that was cool as well actually like and but the, the reality is like especially my first set of infinity models they were my first models in like 10 years and i've yeah. never been a good painter so they look atrocious compared to let's say my horde of mortec guard who look all right well i think this this is another interesting thing about uh large collections versus skirmish things so many many years ago i used to haunt the bolter and chainsword forums in fact probably about 10 12 years ago and there was a thread on the hall of honor uh which i fixated on quite a lot because the title of it was was quantity has a quality all of its own um and i think this speaks to things like um you know if you've got a a full 20-man tactical squad in 30k they need to look good as a unit from four feet away across the table yeah so you're going to paint them to look good from four feet away as a unit across the table whereas if you've got and i've just i've just looked up some of the, the corvus belli stuff so if you've got a unit of four yadu troops i have no idea what these are but they look kind of cool um <laughs> they're a much smaller unit they're going to be almost individual on the tabletop so you probably are going to push yourself that way a bit further to put a wee bit more detail in but they're they're detailed along those lines it's a small unit they've got lots of ammo pouches they've wielding some of their guns and so they're almost sculpted to take into account that there are fewer of them and they need to look good as individuals versus good as a massed up rank of uh tactical marines or or the more tech guard which i imagine tom will look fantastic as a unit because that's how you've painted them to look good I, well unit. they look okay as a unit let's say <laughs> um they look acceptable from four feet away i am actually really looking forward to going back when i get around to it in my substantial backlog going back to doing some infinity stuff just so that i can apply a lot of the techniques i've learned over the past four years mm-hmm. yeah. and also like some of the tools that have come along like take a look at any of those infinity models and think about like 
just actually sort of like basic zenithal highlight contrast dry brushing will bring out so much of the really intricate detail on those and you can work from it work up from that but yeah. it'll just give you such an amazing and like even four years ago a lot of those tools just weren't accessible to me i was like rattle can mm-hmm. paint yeah i'm not going to add highlight i'm just going to put it on the table two layers done you know walk yeah. away um now i'm looking at those undrum bat droids and just thinking some color shift on those would look really nice yeah you know and like i say it's we've got that advantage really is it? you've got the models already it's not a massive thing to sort of strip a model although it can sting a little bit sort of emotionally but then you, you get the pleasure of going back and thinking right what can i do like i say you've got the new techniques new skills new equipment you know, and then you just it's the same model but it becomes a new model yeah exactly you know, that's a, that's always a great thing i you know i enjoy doing that for about 10 minutes anyway I think you flagged something else quite interesting there, Chris, in talking about using color shifts. So one of the other things I think that's really cool about having different game systems is that that you you, you probably could find some very good uses for color shift paints within uh, 30k armies. Yeah. Uh, but looking at some other systems, you might find other uses for color shift paints, or or you might be looking at um, pushing your non-metallic metal painting for example which would fit with the polymer materials uh within the the corvus bellow rangers yeah. so that you do get that liberation i suppose if you're working on different things to, to try out different techniques and different paints and different things and then you can bring them back around to other things that you work on yeah because if it works in, in one system you can easily you know it's te- things tend to be easily transferable you know mm-hmm. um you yeah, know, it's doing, interesting doing doing energy weapons you know on 30k 40k stuff yeah. and you just think well actually i can it's not a million miles away from doing sort of a a flaming sword for something else or a, or a magical sword so it you know it's a transferable skill at that point so interesting you say that though james because like heresy particularly legion armies it kind of has this really military modeler aesthetic and one of the things I loved about actually getting away from that and do starting like then getting really into AOS was probably the next system. I, my my journey back into the hobby was like, okay, infinity. Okay, like how do I go completely the opposite direction in terms of model care? My mate Andy's gonna get me into heresy and I'm gonna spiral on this road for years and I'm gonna go to Blood and Glory <laughs> and it's gonna be completely nuts. But kind of like one of the attractions of getting into AOS earlier this year and one of the super fun things about those Bone Reapers is the the bright colours and like the bright bone, the bright, like the bold sort of like primary colour styling of it, which just doesn't palette, kind of like... Palette cleansing, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. fit Heresy and that's fine. Like it's got a unique aesthetic that looks really cool and something that the community generally is pretty bought into. Yeah. But it's it's been nice to be like, oh, I'm going to do something that is more cartoony, more high fantasy, and this is awesome. It's it's, it's good for the soul to not have to coat everything in Agrax to make it look dirty, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it, like I say, it looks good in 30k, but it it, it gets a bit um uh a, a bit soul destroying after a while to make everything yeah. look grim dark. And it is nice, yeah. you know. I think that's the thing with with hobby butterflying especially is that it, it's kind of it's, it's hobbying for the soul because 
You're never doing yeah. the same thing for a particularly long period of time unless you're really desperate to. Um, Absolutely. And I, I'm going to use that to sort of segue into one of the games that I wanted to really mention, which was Warhammer Underworlds. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really love about this game is not necessarily just, just the game, because the game is actually pretty solid as a card game. Uh, with min- There's just having to have minis. But the actual opportunity to paint stuff that is sort of like, well, I'm not going to collect an army of that. So I don't want to get something in case I love it and then want to paint a load of it. But hey, I've got the opportunity now to paint an ogre and his um, saber tooth and some noblars. And then I can do some Daughters of Cain and, and, and maybe a few Iron Jaws. You get that opportunity to do stuff that you definitely wouldn't normally do. But it's lots of fun to do. And it's sort of like a real palate cleansing experience. Absolutely. I think, I mean, that was one of the attractions for me, Michael, when I started playing Underworlds. Aside from the yeah. low model count and the actual gameplay itself was exactly as you say there. So I, I find the um, where where AOS has got to now is, a, is an absolutely fascinating world that's being continually explored. Uh, and I, th- I think the lore is very, very exciting. But I do not have it in me to do a 2,000-point army for insert faction here. Um, but each of those warbands for Warhammer Underworlds takes the archetypes that make them instantly identifiable to their factions mm-hmm. so that the, the, the ogre and the saber tusk and the noblars completely encompasses all of the archetypes of um the uh the moor tribes or the um the dark elf uh warband that came out towards the end of uh the summer summer it came out that's right yeah um so so looking at them across that small selection of models you've got the archetypes of witch elf and you've got the um medusa yeah you've got the sorceress and the um and so you've got everything of that faction, but on a very, very small scale. So even if you're only picking them up as a painting project because you really wanted to explore painting them or um, mm-hmm. something along those lines, they, they they draw so from such a rich background but compress it down into this is instantly identifiable as being insert faction here. Um, yeah. And they're all designed... Um, to be you know quick to assemble and get ready for gaming but that also makes it easier in terms of you know prep for painting as well if if you're sticking them together then you you know open the box clip them off the sprues clean the mold lines wedge them together prime them you're, you're ready to go in sort of 15 20 minutes instead of you know a hugely involved uh, assembly process absolutely which a huge advantage they're, they're genuinely incredible models as well though right like they're some of the better like the sepulchral guard the skeletons are what got me into that game they're, they are the best traditional fantasy skeletons mm-hmm. you can buy anywhere from anyone like no no contest absolutely gorgeous well, what's really interesting about the underworld's frames as well i think is there was a, so there was an article in one of the white dwarfs this year which um talked about how the season one warbands weren't actually designed for underworlds um they were just easy to build miniatures uh, and the design studio had been tasked with coming up with a game that could use these as a method of of selling them um so they they came up with underworlds and they put them out and and uh underworlds kind of 
took off. Um, so from season one onwards, the Warband miniatures have been designed specifically to be easy to build for Underworlds as opposed to being easy to build miniatures that were kind of crowbarred into a game system. And so you can yeah, see the, that... The, I think I think I read something, they were meant to be tasters for the um, mm-hmm. factions. Yeah. Um, but you can see as they've gone in, so we're at the start of season four of, of uh, Underworlds now with Diachasm coming out, and you can see how, along with all of the other plastic releases, they're really pushing the envelope for what can be achieved on a plastic miniature or a set of plastic miniatures that are two frame uh, sprues and are going to be push fit. Um, but you look at the way some of them go together and, you know, they look they look like fully fledged miniatures that aren't push fit when you've got them assembled and painted. And you think, wow, you know, the way that they're slicing all this up and 3D rendering and and everything and, and the mold makers are slicing it. It's absolutely phenomenal to get things that don't look like they're easy to build miniatures when they're fully finished. Oh yeah, I mean the the what was it the uh, Dark Oath Warband? They just look so dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they're but, def- definitely one of my favourite ones from season two. Yeah. But you're doing so. This is you're working your way through, aren't you, Michael? You're painting up all yeah, your. Yeah, I, I get I get all of them because I actually like the variety in them, and I found myself. Le- I I I I, I uh, sort of got stuck this year. You know, I was fit. I was I was well. I'm a few war bands behind. I really need to get those finished. Mm. So I've sort of uh, been catching up. I'm actually working on hog hog. Oh, what's his name? Rothgorn. Rothgorn. That's the one. Man trappers now. Yeah. And that's a uh, he's an interesting model. So, loads you can do with him. This is where. So I I have bought every set uh from shade spire onwards and put all the expansions i just i got i got diachasm for christmas and i'm eyeing up the chaos warband that are due next month um but i tend to look at so because the War, warhammer underworlds is one of the few games i enjoy playing competitively because it's been built to be played that way i think i find it's got a very tight rule set um yeah. there's like with every game there are some interactions that aren't intended and the designers do go back around and there have been faqs and cards have had to be errated and and, and sorted but Mm -hmm. because it's because it's such a tight rule set i actually enjoy playing it competitively so what i tend to have done over the seasons is i've looked at the war bands that look like they would be cool to paint uh, and then i've looked at the way that they play and this is another aspect i think that war bands is the, uh, the underworld's war bands do really well is that the way that they play tends to encompass that faction's uh, archetypes as well. So Hrothgorn's another good example. You've got a a massive ogre that can tank a lot of damage and is very powerful, but he's quite slow. You've got his saber tusk who who helps him to hunt and and run his prey down, so he can move a little bit faster. Uh, And then you've got the Noblars, which essentially are there to get in people's way, Um, but (laughs) might actually end up shanking you in the kidneys and finishing you off. You just don't know. so they play the way that they feel like they should play and their uh, rules and cards and everything push that uh, style of play or push the um, archetype with them. But you've obviously got the freedom to build to play different styles. Um, so I've, so I've bought every expansion. The way that they play, just just very quickly, because yeah. Underworlds and I've kind of tried to avoid because I know that I'll end up 
this conversation in quite a heavy way. But how does how does this? Because you know, it's got the cards, it's got the mats. How how does it the game play? Um, so just to for, for the uninitiated. Okay, so it, it's played out across three rounds, and your uh, aim is to score more glory than your opponent. Um, what's really interesting about the glory points system is that you don't actually have to have eradicated your opponent's warband or even have any fighters of your own left on the table to actually win the game. So the win condition is just to have more points. Um, you score points by getting kills, but you also score points by achieving objective cards. So you've got two decks of cards. You've got your power deck and you've got your objective deck. You have 12 cards in your objective deck and you build these decks yourself. So you're you're building your own win condition in effect. And that's what you're, okay. you're planning for. Um, and then you've got uh, in your power deck, you've got things called gambits. You've got spells, uh, you've got upgrades. So across the three rounds, you... Um, you get to activate a fighter and then your opponent gets to activate a fighter four times. So you've effectively got 12 activations across the game, three rounds. At the end of the third round, you top up who's got the most glory and that's the winner. But as I say, you don't necessarily have to eradicate your opponent's warband. You might be going for objective play, in which case you just sit on objectives. But what happens as you play the game is quite interesting. You've got a plan going in, your opponent's got a plan going in, and then you start making choices like, well, it looks like they're trying to derail me there. Do I stick with my plan? Because that's, you know, I'm playing into trying to score my objectives. Some warbands and decks will play into just disruption and you'll win by stopping your opponent from achieving their objectives as opposed to achieving yours. Um, so there's a lot of variety. And as Michael said, it's it's got deck building elements with the cards. There's dice involved as well. So there's randomness. And a lot of the time you're trying to stack the probability of dice rolls in your favor by sure. adding upgrades or um, having support from characters. Okay. Uh, but there's some, some really cool how to play videos for it as well, that if anybody's thinking about getting into it, I'd recommend they go check out. Yeah, I, I think I've heard it described as a, a card game, but it happens to have miniatures. I think that's a good good summary of it, yeah. Um, but, this podcast um, is so dangerous. I should never have agreed to come on. It's always dangerous talking about hobby in, in any context, because it just, especially someone else's hobby, because mm -hmm. you do end up going down to sort of the, well, I'm in front of a computer, and if I just type these words into the internet, it would just happen to give me the information that I want. Oh, and I can ah. click and buy this now? Okay. <laughs> well, this is... I, I, I think it's most fun because it does have that, that that sort of um you you aren't stuck you aren't having to build a massive army you've got a few yeah. models um and is that's uh, for me it's definitely that sampler of different factions like i ha i had this mighty need to paint some caravan overlords and painting their warband was just a lot of fun and it sort of scratched that itch yeah i also scratched that itch of having to not buy 400 pounds worth of models you know you, 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 know, you yeah. get half a dozen models and, and then it's yeah exactly you can use them uh, and then you kind of tick that box yeah, i tell you what not if they're not working on a 40k version they're crazy right because <laughs> just because think, you're 100 percent right michael like it's just like a fun little set of models for a faction and you're just like yeah. oh i really yeah, want this because they're it's cool not like, and unique and it's not like I've got to go out and start an army of them now so I can use them. It's like I can use them. They're, they're great. They're there. 
I suppose they have got Kill Team, which is sort of a, a, a slight yeah, variation. Kill of Team, yeah. Okay. I was going to say as well... But they don't do sort of pre-done packs, per se, for it. Well, I, I don't know if you guys have tried them out, but the Space Marine Adventure games are, are roughly analogous yeah. to... Yeah, that's true. The Space they, Marine Heroes models as well yeah. that come in there. Yeah. They are nowhere near ones. as in-depth as many of the games but then they are intended to be gateway things so you you know you, this is a kid kid who's in a shop with their parent being like oh look mum th- this looks cool and and the parent looking at it and being like i look like i could you know this looks like something i could actually understand yeah. to play without I mean, needing <laughs> hours they're the cannabis and forge rod is the heroin i mean that's basically absolutely because it's um, resin as well so there you go um but that that uh, that is an interesting point tom and because you you can see the interaction between the the studios you know the the um latest uh rules for 40k obviously draw very strongly on the aos rules which um have been refined over the last few years and uh, although i don't play either system i i read quite a lot of the designers notes and things as they come out because i think it's absolutely fascinating the design process that they go through and how closely they monitor the rule sets now for both systems um and have committed to you know making sure they do updates twice a year and uh, have got a very clear channel for feedback and, and that kind of thing um and it is it's very interesting watching the way the two systems are, are learned or that they've learned from what works well in one and applied it to the other one and so yeah i think you're right they'd be missing a trick if they didn't have some kind of full-on skirmish variant like underworlds for yeah. for 40k they, they tend not to um miss a trick gw you know. no they're they're very good they, at they finding ways a formula to... that works for something they'll they'll uh, apply it to as many things as they can yeah on the on the whole yeah, i mean they did um they did uh they did uh they had uh i don't know if you guys remember gore chosen from a few years back yes um, yep yeah remember that's that a fantastic again they did a 40k version of that um but only in america <laughs> which is a bit of a shame what was that one called uh combat arena oh i think yeah I, oh I was, yeah I've that's got seen that really one. cool models in it it's got the same models from one of the expansions to um, Blackstone Fortress. That's right. I remember now. Mm. Oh, I can get hold of them then. <laughs> <laughs> Someone hired Tom's bank card because I think it's going to be a good evening <laughs> for him. It's, it's, it's oh, his PayPal, PayPal one touch is real. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's how it gets you right there. You've, you've been selected to try out PayPal credit. Would you like to know more? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Step away. Walk away. Um, and, and it's not just imprint games that I suppose uh, you know can really uh, attract us right now. Trying to segue into what Chris wanted to talk well, actually, about. So. I, I just wanted to go back a, a second to Tom and Infinity because I, yeah. I, I was tr- while he's talking about it, I was trying to think of. I used to play a skirmish game a few years ago with my friends, um, which was Dead Zone by Mantic. Oh yeah, which was um, sort of small scale again, but I just wondered because that was all you had the uh, sort of a map for that, and you could only move so many squares. So with Infinity, does that have sort of a similar sort of um, activation system to sort of 40k or, or no, it's W game, or is it really different, like Dead Zone kind of was? It's really very different. It's activation, isn't it? It's well, not really, no, but there is kind of like 
there's an active turn and a reactive turn, which is like almost the equivalent of like old Overwatch. But uh, what I would say about Infinity, and one of the things that actually really initially attracted me to it is you might call it, it's like, it's an in-depth hobbyist's game. It's it's almost like the equivalent of something like Titanicus, right? Like if a child was picking this up off a shelf in a shop, the the best thing you could do for that child is say look step away <laughs> um, you've got super glue you've got tiny parts you've got what is like a phenomenally in-depth like back and forth system of like you know cover to cover shooting and like games are, are usually won or lost uh, by what you're doing or what your opponent is doing in your turn as you're trying to move across firing lines and avoid like gunfire and stuff um it's it's incredible and that's one of the attractive attractive things it's like it is definitely the story of this one model that accidentally went around the table and like ramboed your opponent's entire army um or occasionally the story of like your super elite unit like dying to like cover fire from some mook because they got lucky <laughs> that's just yeah oh nice no. so that's i mean that's uh, the fact i mean the fact that it's in depth is, is definitely a I say it's an appealing factor, but I, you know, I know there's a part of my soul that would go I'm down the rabbit's hole now. Hey, people, this is yeah. It's more more akin to Necromunda, but even yeah. then, like the level of complexity is is a lot higher than I think anything you'd find okay. from GW. Which is not to say it's better or worse; it's just different. It's just different market. Yeah, yeah, um, different aim. I think. I suppose I, sorry, Chris, you. No, no, go, go for it. Go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I think this is, is a, a, a point to sort of uh, say as well that that um, I think as hobby butterflies, we would probably say that there are things that draw us to different companies or different ranges for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. and and it's not a case of any one company producing better rules or better models or or better games. It's that those games or models or rule sets scratch an itch, as as we said earlier on. So if if you're looking for a small scale skirmish game that has the level of technical detail and player interaction it sounds like infinity is going to scratch that itch for you it may well be there are other manufacturers that will do that too but if you like the models and the aesthetic and the world build as well it's only going to be that that scratches the itch for you but that doesn't mean that you can't circle back around and play underworlds or 30k or titanicus or any other game system uh, I think that's always often the thing. People sort of find them sort of self pigeonhole themselves. Um, you know, I am a X player. That's all I'm going to play, and sort of the blinkers go on. Um, yeah. Which I always think is a bit of a sort of a bit of a shame. You know, I mean, I'm sure Graham wouldn't um, grumble too much, but you know, if I say that that's kind of his his sort of mindset is that you know he, he plays heresy. That's that it does. He's got some Titanicus, but Heresy is what he plays, and that's that's the lane that he kind of lives in. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm sure, you know, if we sort of eek to bill out of him, that he can you know, and, and wave some other pretty models in front, you know, it wouldn't take <laughs> too much for him to jump. But I think people just sort of self protect themselves almost, they bubble wrap themselves um, from some of the other things that are going on out there. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so, right, so, going back to uh, Chris, um, you're going to talk about an out-of-print game that you've been uh, interested in. 
an out of print. I mean, does it really qualify as out of print? Is this BFH? Well, BFG, BFH. I mean, BFG, I, yeah. uh, I pretty much mention it in every show that I do now. I've decided that it's just become this sort yep. of thing. Um, so it'd be foolish of me to come on to a, uh, when we're having a chat about games that aren't heresy to not talk about it. But <laughs> I, yeah. So I can't see what is the downside to playing a game about giant spaceships. And this is and has uh, Austin and the Roman Rest of the Street guys described to me throwing cars at each other at high velocity across incredible distances. I mean that's basically what the game is and it's just the coolest thing um the the the, the, the models you you know you you see them on ebay there are a lot of um 3d stl files and stuff kicking around now for them so the game is kind of there still it's not officially there so yeah it's not impossible for someone to pick it up now this is one of the two games I so badly want GW to come back to and yeah, get uh, get back into in a big way. But I don't. Uh, what, what's the What's the other one? Is it Gorkamorka? It's Gorkamorka. It will always yeah. be Gorkamorka. Always Gorkamorka. Gorkamorka. The, the thing is that I don't. You know, we had a, a, a quick five minute chat beforehand. I don't necessarily th- think that it that it requires GW. I don't necessarily know, other than sort of new models, kind of what they're going to add to the game that isn't already there in other forms, if that makes sense. Well, I, I'd with, agree with the, you, Chris. Cheaper models. <laughs> the other thing is, though, I mean, if you're, as long as you're sensible, you know, so the other day. You're talking to the wrong get, people, mate. Yeah, yeah. But, but the other day, ah. you know, uh, Graham. I was trying to get ground to buy a, a fleet for a while. And on eBay, we picked up a fleet for about 80 quid. Got lucky. Yeah. But you've just, and that's all it is. You've just got to get, sort of get lucky and sort of know what your, what your pricing sort of system is for it. I know I've got to spend a lot of time hounding eBay for things for that game. You know, it's just sort of what I do every five spare, spare five minutes is go, oh, what have they got today? Um, so it's it's not impossible to get a fleet relatively cheaply. I'll say the um, one thing, Chris, that we're, that the reason that I would like GW to come back into these things is not necessarily even the pricing element, but it does help create a boost for that community, right? Yeah, it, that's, I mean that's true. The example I would talk about here is like the the Middle Earth strategy battle game, which like wandered in the wilderness for many many sure, years yeah. with very little support. And, and an amazing community kept that alive in the same way that the the Battlefleet Heresy guys are keeping the the dream of of Battlefleet Gothic alive. But the amount of attention, product support, not just the exciting new models, but like the sense of energy and new people coming into that community now that GW has taken taken up the baton again, yeah, is, is so palpable. And I want that for Battlefleet because it's. Oh, sorry, I can't do that on this podcast. <laughs> That's all right. It's, I'll be fudging. Mr. B's good at beeping, don't worry. It's fudging wicked. It absolutely is. And it's, this, you know, sorry. Um, go on. What, what are you well, gonna I was going to say. So this this is an interesting point, maybe to to segue slightly towards one of the games Michael wanted to mention, which was Dropfleet, because yep. Dropfleet. Uh, so I I have picked up uh, some 
of Vanguard miniatures uh, ships for Battlefleet Heresy. It's one of my my 2021 uh, projects is probably going to be uh, doing a wee fleet for Battlefleet Heresy. But I got hum- hum- immensely excited when Dropfleet Commander was was being kickstarted, um, and that was because it was giant spaceships hurling massive projectiles across kilometers <laughs> of space, and effectively it felt like a spiritual successor to Battlefleet Gothic. Um, it was helped by the and uh, the world building um, for the drop fleet uh, drop zone commander universe is, is very very good, and the rule set was developed uh, uh, to reflect that. But it's also very very much descended from Battlefleet Gothic's rule set. Yeah, Andy Chambers wrote it as a yeah. direct successor, as he put it. <laughs> um, so it, it it takes quite a lot of the basics from from Battlefleet and refines them into a setting, a different setting. And um, it's obviously, it's, it's different, but in some ways it's the same. And it's one of the reasons why I got excited about Drop Fleet was because I thought it might scratch that Titanic spaceships in uh, combat sure. type thing. Uh, and to an extent it did, but it didn't have all of the stuff that surrounds 30K or, or 40K. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't, it's not a bad thing. It's different. And I was totally on board with that, but it didn't do what I wanted it to do. And so every so often I circle back around to looking at the ships, particularly the resistance ones. Um, but this is one of those ones where, you know, you, you we were saying earlier on, you just, I'll just buy a couple and then I'll just buy a fleet and then I'll just buy another fleet. Uh, yeah, yeah. These do so look cool though. Yourself. I'm looking at them on the internet now. This does yeah. look cool. Oh man. But like in my heart, yeah. what I want to do though is like I want to fight the solar war, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I these want, these yeah. are these aren't going to do that. I mean, this is it is but, more like uh, as I keep saying to be, it's more like submarine combat yes. as opposed yeah. to to ships fighting Name in the high combat. seas, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just, you know because you're fighting on different levels of a, of atmosphere, and the biggest part of the game, although it sounds really weird for a ship-based game is actually what happens on the ground because mm-hmm. it's a drop fleet commander you're trying to get troops onto the ground to take you know sites there's yep. the actual mm. space battle game is is all to facilitate actually landing troops on the ground and um, i think that's something that that uh, drop fleet does do a little bit better than battle fleet perhaps is to mm-hmm. encompass that um the the point of the of the engagement is to get boots on the ground or to extract boots from the ground or to yeah. to move them around in some way yeah there are the, there are a few bfg missions that are designed are are to do that if I, you have got a couple where it's you get um landing points if you're in orbit of the planet for a certain amount of turns and stuff like that but it doesn't have that um, in-depth nature of, of of getting people down but I think that's partly, and, and Michael, correct me if I'm wrong here, because it's been a while since mm-hmm. I've read the fluff. The rule yeah. set reflects very much the fact that humanity is trying to reconquer the the, the planets that they have lost previously to yeah. the Scourge. Yeah, exactly. And therefore, it's, all... it's, it's the reconquest, isn't it? Is yeah, right? it's all about yeah. invading planets. Yeah. 
Um, so it, it 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 needs to have that element because that's the point of the story you're trying to tell with the games is that this this is various factions vying for control over planets. Whereas Battlefleet may have those landing elements. You may be trying to get you know some some space marines on the ground to conquer a planet, but ultimately is about you know ships hurling skyscraper-sized yeah. projectiles at each other in the void, like uh, battles on the high seas in, in a in a naval game with uh, sailing ships. Um, it's funny that Tom mentioned Solar War because I'd always had a small Battlefleet Gothic. I never, so I'm segueing between the two games here. Um, I'd always had a small Battlefleet Gothic um, fleet anyway. But then when I read read Solar War, um, that, that sort of put everything to overdrive because... Basically, what I've done for this year is basically spent time searching eBay, buying enough ships to try and get as big as an approximation of two sort of fleets to sort of have my own sort of mini solar war at some point. You know, because we've got that advantage with that game of having a sort of a current narrative, mm-hmm. that, you know, you can replicate relatively. Um, uh, to, to a relative standard, anyway. That I, I is genuinely, that... controversially, the heresy plastic box set that I want to see. That yeah, no one I mean... <laughs> else wants to see. I want to see Siege no. of the Solar War. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not against. I, you know, I think that'd be cracking. Um, I mean, that's, I've got two four and a half thousand point fleets now um, mm. for BFG, just because you know when we were planning County of Legends for this year, we were going to add Titanicus because that was sort of a the standard game and then as this year went on it was like well actually i've probably got enough for three or four players to, to, do, <laughs> to, to do a, 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 a night of, of battle fleet on the friday and the saturday night if you wanted to because i think that's that would then make it a more rounded out campaign so that's you know one of the good things that's come out of this year is it's given us the opportunity to, to add that in for next year um, I think that's a really cool thing. So having having been to one of your guys' events uh, and been to a few other narrative events as well, uh, shout out to Heresy.Scott for their narrative events, which I know you guys have come up for as well. Oh, yeah, they're great. Uh, um, the more you can add to your narrative. So if you if you have uh, Titanicus for that, that scale of the conflict, if you have uh, 28mm 30k for the uh, infantry clash and the, and the you know the minutia of the conflict, and then you can maybe set up the starting points for the for the two sides in the campaign by whether or not the traitor side managed to land uh, reinforcements or yeah, and you've got that so full the Friday game. night yeah so if you do BFG on the or BFH on the Friday night. That will tie into how the start. I mean, that that will tie into how the the starting situation is on a Saturday morning for the for the twenty eight mil players um, and the Zone Mortalis players because that's going to tie into it as well. And it's you know it, it create like I say it creates a more rounded out story. The only problem is it creates a more rounded out story. <laughs> so you have to create that much extra story, which is yes. It's just sort of the, the, the pitfall for, for event organizers, but um, you know, it's it, but it, it the, the cost outweighs the you know, the, 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 the positive outweighs the, the time cost, I think, for, for other well, I think, people. So, 
think describe it as probably gaming the dream, wouldn't you? If you could set up a narrative campaign by making planet full uh, and building in enough narrative hooks so that if on the Friday night you're like, oh, well, the loyalists successfully repulsed the traitor attack, um, which effectively nullifies the remainder yeah, of the weekend. Yeah, Let's yeah. make sure they can get something. But you, you some set bits. it up with, with the space conflict and then you resolve across the weekend what happens on the ground and you've got that all-encompassing story of how they got there what they did and where they ended up Just, and that's uh, what narrative uh, game is one so no one suggests epic to us at any point <laughs> i don't need that because that is a cracking game as well it, it is but we've got titanic as the the, the scratch that itch oh well, i don't know about that so this is this is one uh, uh, segueing here uh, on that mm-hmm. opportunity so this is something i talked about uh, with um uh chap called chris welsh who's one of the guys uh in the central belt that we've have met through uh heresy gaming um recently and um it's not chris it's scott sorry scott welsh anyway we were talking recently again about that it's that kind of full spectrum uh, of gaming so epic gives you obviously titans masses of troops air support tanks everything um and titanicus as you alluded to earlier is much more like um a naval game i think having played several games of it because you're you've got massive ponderous war machines that were never built to fight one another um but have you know now facing off against one another across the two sides of of the galactic civil war um almost veering into star trek there it's the the, the <laughs> mankind civil war um and so you know you've got some some of the faster things like knights and uh, warhounds you can be a little bit more are a little bit more forgiving but the bigger the titan gets the slower more ponderous it is and the more advanced you need to be planning what it does which is very similar to naval combat where you need to be thinking about where your ship's going to be in a wee while's time or your yeah. firing solutions and that kind of thing. Have, have and any of you guys played um just star wars armada yes yeah yes so yeah that i mean that scratched my spaceship itch um for a long time and that's yeah i love that game but that has the the, the best system for that i think where you well, have think... to say you have to decide what you're going to be doing in four games four turns uh time at the start basically and just hope that it pays <laughs> pays off um with the little uh, little round dial things and I think it does work really well because when we, I mean, obviously in films or in books, when we see action around capital ships, um, it's, it is action and it's action driven and it's, it's, it's always kind of quick. And, um, but when you look at, uh, historical accounts of naval combat, you know, you're, you're firing over the horizon at targets that are miles away. Once we get to, to having actual battleships, um, and you've got, you know, crew being relayed orders from a captain up on the bridge, and it takes time for those orders to filter down, and they might be misinterpreted. Um, but it, you've also got elements of a fleet that you need to. So you're, you know, we'll get the frigates over here because they're screening. We'll get the torpedo boats, and they're going to. So yeah, you, you're right. Armada does a fantastic job of translating those kind of unseen pieces of the action, like, you know, the captain's been like, right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to engage them in this quadrant here. And to do that, I need you to burn the engines for this long and then set up firing solutions here. Uh, and it's it can feel quite clunky the first couple of times you play it, but then you start to get used to that intuitiveness of like, well, actually, these are huge yeah. 
spaceships that do take time for the crew to get them to respond or can't just stop moving on the turn because and BFG the captain does that as well. Sorry. The, the captain is never speaking directly to the engineer. No. There's at least two people that he's got to go through to relay that message. You know. It, yeah. It's always and, and I think games that don't put that in miss that trick. Because it is it's taking the reality out of the situation in a you know made up game. Um Titanicus is the is the game I wish I was I wish I was into. Sure. Because when I hear people talk about the rules, I'm super excited. But the but and for me personally, Titans just don't do it for me. If they had made that game but put a Gloriana path class <laughs> instead, I would be yeah. all over it. And that's it's, just kind of like it's so fascinating enough. how going back to sorry i can't remember who made this point earlier it's like you're jumping around for specific themes and specific things it's like it's almost there but it's not quite Uh, the the actual game system isn't actually that different between those two games exactly you you have the orders system you have the uh you know the repairs and everything like that it's all it's not quite a copy and paste situation but there's enough of if you if you've played enough of one you're going to be good at the other and I, I mean i have titans i have titans still in their boxes that i just i've never got round to doing yet and be- i think because it doesn't because I, I have friends with spare titans and we play i use theirs and also i don't know if it necessarily ticks the boxes for me um to, to well, sort of dive into um, <coughs> excuse me. which is weird because I, I would have thought it would do because it's you know, it's big things blowing big things up. It, it should uh, 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 appeal to my eight-year-old action movie-loving self. Yeah, you know, giant robots. Giant exactly. Robots are great. Exactly. Yeah. They absolutely are. But I, 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 I'm kind of with you. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't scratch any particular. It's just not desperate at any point to to dive in wholeheartedly into it. I don't think I've bought anything for it for. Probably not after it not after it came out because it's just like yeah it, you know it's there and it's cool but I, I know you, I know James you're a big fan of um, Titanicus. I was going to say I'll I'll counterpoint that. So <laughs> I have I have only one Titan in a box and that was because my I had a it come as a secret Santa present which I actually I want to call out because it was really cool. Um, so I I took part in the the Hobby Vices Secret Santa this year, and the the chap who sent me mine is a Legio Mortis player. Um, so he sent me this amazing note, which was along the lines of, I hate to reinforce a loyalist player, but um, maybe this Titan will be of use to you. But he popped some Legio Mortis t- uh, transfers in with it on the basis that maybe I would come over to the Mortis side and paint this this Reaver up in Mortis colors. And I'm, I'm actually thinking about doing it because I think that would be a really cool uh, um, thing to do as a hobby project. But a little piece of me is also, well, I'm a Legion McNaughton player. You're my arch nemesis. I can't. Can, can I cross that line? Yeah. Um, Don't do it. Don't do it. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of leapt into Titanicus. Um, I talked about this recently, actually, on, on another podcast. Um, I leapt into Titanicus as soon as it was even announced. Um, I knew I was going to get into it. And then when they when the Grandmaster set came out, I, I pre-ordered it straight away. Um, leapt in with both feet. I've, I've, I say I've only got one Titan in a box. I've also got some of the new Mechanicum Knights uh, that I picked up um, around my birthday in November as well, which I haven't got to yet. 
Um, but I, I found it. It's a it's a really interesting game because it does uh, it is large ponderous big stompy robots uh, and you are having to do a bit more planning. I think I've won a single game I've played yet because I'm too 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 focused on this is big stompy robots blasting away at each other and not necessarily concentrating <laughs> on yeah. how you win the games. But it does scratch an itch for me in terms of um, it's telling the narrative of the heresy from a different perspective. So you know the novels. And the black books tell it from perspectives of individuals or some of the the dramatis personae that we know. Whereas when I'm pushing titans around a table, it, it it does feel as though I'm you know the princeps who's arming the volcano cannon to blast in that direction. But I've been blindsided by the warhound that snuck up because you've got that granularity of managing your void shields and trying to repair things and maybe pushing the reactor to move faster. Um, but I can also see how that that might not scratch the itch for everybody because it is it's very granular. Um, but I think the um, other thing that I would would mention around it is that it more than many other game systems I think is one that can be as expensive as you want to make it. Now I stress every every game is is as expensive as you want to make it, but it's one that actually for having quite a lot of models in the range requires you to only maybe have two or three to actually give the game a go um and chris yeah. you mentioned in there that you're actually you know you're, you're borrowing titans off other people to, to play the game so it's maybe got a sort of a midpoint buy-in for you know you need the rules and a couple of models uh a couple of titans to make a maniple and some support maybe or more three well, times I mean, a, a couple of you know a box of warhounds and a reaver or whatever and you're kind of sorting you know, you're reasonably yeah. sorted if you want to be as and that's 50 quid, 60 quid, probably. Can't yep. think that's almost. You know, there, there are a few other games that will let you get away with spending that little to, to, to have a sort of a starting point in the game. So I was looking at um, like a Crisis Protocol, the Marvel game, which is uh, I, I'm fighting the urge to play. But it's £40 for just two models, and you have to have squads of 10. So right. this, is, this is crazy expensive, actually, when you think about it, because you're not going to want both the models in the box, really. Is it? You know, it's, it's it's not quite how it works. So, I mean, that is the good thing about Titanicus. Yeah. It's a good game that you can if you go into without having to spend a large amount of money. And also, if you don't enjoy it, you haven't lost a lot of money. You, you um, haven't. And I, th- I think the other thing with it is that it does fit so because it's been designed to incorporate the um the sort of three styles of play that that aos and 40k have you've got narrative driven supplements if that's what floats your boat which i'll be honest yeah. that's what what does it for me um but you can also play a pickup game uh, for match play and there's also the um just what what do i feel like putting down on a table today you've got this i've got that let's just play the game uh, open play that's it it's got those three three modes of play and it does mean that you can play the game in the way that you want to and as you say if you find that you're finding the um the maniples too restrictive well just throw some titans down on a table and push them around and blast the hell out of each other um i think uh it's giving you that freedom to play the way you want to yeah yeah there's a there's a game style, isn't there? That you know, game, gaming for everybody. That's I mean, that's that is a good thing about GW actually. So uh, you, the you usual mentioned voices of going uh, fanboy, but still. 
<laughs> you mentioned there about crisis protocol, though. So this is one yeah. I've sort of kept peripherally in my eye on, and, I'm, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm remembering this right. This is the one that has been developed by Atomic Mass Games and is yeah. Marvel character skirmish. Yeah, so it's Marvel character skirmish. You don't and you don't have to have all good guys or bad guys. You can mix it up. Um, yeah. I, which, I current I currently have Atomic Mass's um, UK demo copy in my um, in my studio. Oh, cool. Because mm. I, I, I work part-time for Asmodee, the owners. So mm-hmm. um, I did some demonstrations at virtual conventions uh, this summer. And I still haven't sent it back because they haven't <laughs> asked for it. What's going missing at any point, Mr. B? You know what my address is. But, um, <laughs> see, I'd, I'd, I've, I've put off this game because I was like, well, I'll get involved when X-Men go into it. Because that's, you know, an X-Men comic reader for... How old am I? 35. Oof. Far too long, basically. <laughs> Trying to do the maths on that. Um, I'll, I'll play it when the X-Men come out. And now the X-Men are in it, and it's like, oh, God, okay, so how are we going to do this? You know, How am I going to build my, my dream team? But the, the issue that I have with this game is that, as I said, so you get two people in a two characters in a box. Mm. So there's one with Vision and Winter Soldier that I'm looking at at the moment. So it's 40 quid. But I don't necessarily want both of those models. <laughs> I can't buy them in any other way, you know. It's it's uh, and that's the thing that puts me off sort of diving into this game is sort of model wastage. Mm. You know, I don't want Wolverine and Sabretooth on my team. I just want Wolverine. So, you know, it's, the game. Uh, you know, I've played a couple of demo games at my local um, store before sort of the lockdowns hit. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but that's that, that's the thing that you know, puts me off playing it is that and, uh, diving into it is the the fact that sort of wasting real, real model and money wastage. Mm. Yeah, I can sh- see that. It's a shame because we've touched a few times on the the sort of scratching the itch thing, and by the sounds of it, so being a being a an X Men fan who has read comic books for as long as you can remember and presumably has possibly enjoyed some of the films i know that's potentially yeah, a touchy subject this, this, but the, the last the, the, uh whatever it was whatever the last one was i i don't think i've actually watched it yet okay. i have it on i have it on dvd i have it on, on uh amazon or whatever i don't think i've actually played it at any point but, but You've, so there's a there's a, a barrier there to you being able to because I think I mean without without trying to sound patronising in any way because mm. I mean this respectfully, this game sounds like it would be a wish fulfillment opportunity for you to build your X Men dream team and yeah. see what you could do with them in any given scenario where I don't know like a bad guy's about to launch a doomsday device or something, yeah. uh, and that's what one of the things that we've, we've said, you know, this being a hobby butterfly, allows you to scratch those itches and that's being denied to you by that starter barrier, which is a shame because. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a self-imposed as well. uh, Yeah. They tend to, they tend to put, they've been tending to either put together two enemies or two people who work particularly well together. You know, like for example, you've got your bullseye and daredevil. um, I think, black panther and killmonger in a box set together um and it's like you're not necessarily going to want to get them because you know they're they're enemies they're on different 
team affiliations, as it were, for the most part. But then you've got some ones like the Black Order, like I think Corvus, Glaive, and Proxima Midnight are in the same yeah, box yeah. together. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're going to work perfectly together. So Cyclops and Storm are together. That's good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just things. It's just like oh, we'll put Wolverine and Sabretooth together. Well, I don't want both basically the same character. Mm-hmm. Not the, to cast ma- massive aspersions at an entire like continent's games industry. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like a, a I like a conversation that starts like that. That's <laughs> my kind of conversation. It feels like a lot of the American games tend to think slightly differently, and like that kind of philosophy you've just described, Michael, in terms of like, okay, how are we going to put this packaging together? Would never occur to like a GW or a Warlord or a Mantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, they I come mean, from these are all... yeah, a I culturally mean, want... different way of packaging yeah. game and getting people into the game. I mean, these want to you to collect everything. There's no, there's no joys around that. It's designed to collect everything. Now, this is that's an interesting point actually, because as you were saying earlier on, so Asmodee are the overall uh, company here, and Atomic Mass Games are the developers that do Crisis Protocol. But Asmodee uh, worked obviously with um, Fantasy Flight prior to the recent developments where things have been shifted around. Asmodee um, also own Fantasy Flight. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's that's very much a release model that Armada and X-Wing had. You know, you, you yeah. could fly casual and just pick up a handful of things, but you would be missing cards that um, you might want for upgrades. Or um, so, you... X-Wing became, used to play X-Wing very not. We said we weren't hardcore X-Wing players, but we were hardcore X-Wing players, and it became a real arms race in my group to yeah. buy ships for cards and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I recently shifted all my X-Wing stuff because I, I, I hadn't played it for so long because we'd all kind of burnt ourselves out with it. Well, I think I think it's interesting that they've selected that same release model for this because what you've just described there happened locally. So, so we had a really thriving X-Wing community here for a while, and then it did uh, become an arms race Um where if you hadn't picked up the last wave of ships, you were probably going to be at a disadvantage. And again, even if you were playing casual games, if you were missing some stuff that was instrumental in making a ship work, you probably weren't going to be enjoying it very much. And it did kind of drop off, I think, probably just before the 2.0 rules came out. Mm -hmm. And I kept a little bit of an eye on what they were trying to do there. They seemed to recognize themselves that they needed to reassert some balance, stop it becoming an arms race. But it felt like it was a little bit too late for us. And um, so it's interesting. And this is why I'm flagging it. You know, they've, they've adopted this release model. And Tom, as you say, this seems to be a, a, a philosophy that fits with American releases. Um, But they know that it, it doesn't necessarily sustainably work from their previous experiences so it'll be interesting to see how they go going forward whether they continue to do this this release model or if they adapt it um yeah, i mean i think it's shifted, um star wars to them as well i think it's the same studio is now going to do all their star wars miniature games going yeah forward. Star, star wars and all the star wars well everything that. that's minute everything that's miniatures has moved over to um uh, atomic mass from ffg so legion armada x-wing I think there's just something in like the core GW philosophy and that has like transmitted to all the companies that were formed 
by XQW yeah. people in Nottingham that is like we've got to make it super easy for people to get in. Like GW has like a religious dedication to getting the eleven year old into the game. And I think that permeates every sort of like get make it easy type decision that they do that mm. I just couldn't see them going down that sort of like I think Underworlds is possibly the closest they've come to that and they even that they built in they built in like the regular season resets and, and the rotation and stuff as a way of making sure you there's there's no opportunity to get too deep down a rabbit hole that people can't pick the game up. Well, that's actually one, so one of the things that um, there was quite a lot of consternation when uh, Underworlds' card rotation was announced the first time. Some people were very unhappy that this was was happening. Um, but I, I thought, and this is possibly because I've come through some of the other card games that have had rotation. So at one point I, we played Star Wars Destiny up here. There was another one that I drove and it was a fantastic game. Uh, from Fantasy Flight. Um, what's the other one we've we got into? We got uh, we played Keyforge, another FFG one. Keyforge was quite interesting. Yep. Um, and so rotation for me is a positive thing because as long as it's not done too frequently, because you want to make sure people actually get some use out of their cards or or products before you you churn them out. But it means that you have a tightly controlled design space where you've got the opportunity to refine or try new things. And it does keep that buy-in down. So if, if you were looking at getting into Underworlds just now, you've only got to buy a block of two seasons to keep current, if that's the way you want to go. But equally, uh, nobody's coming around. You know, it's not like somebody from Nottingham is going to drive around to, to my house and be like, well, that's the card rotation. Give me all your cards. I'm going to put them in an incinerator and burn them. They're still mine. So if I wanted to play with them, I can, I can do that. But it means that the designers themselves uh, have that tightly controlled design space that they can um, put new cards into that are maybe refinements of old cards or try new mechanics out in that they don't have to worry about interacting with four seasons cards ago. Yeah. It's, it's that control, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's checks and balances. It's, it's sort of putting that into the game as mm-hmm. part of the game yes. without it being an artificial um, you know, add-on, which, like I say, always stings much more. Uh, no, that's why it's a great time for me to get into to diachasm, right? Like <laughs> new season, should pick that's that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Get get all your suppliers, Tom. You know that's uh, actually but... genuinely controversial statement of the night. Sorry, I have to make this. I think it's why we could do with a bit of a. Re- I'm not saying a wholesale rules change. I'm not saying like ninth edition, eighth edition, whatever. But a nice sort of like relaunch almost of the heresy it's like we've got a rule set we've we're going to redo the red books so it's easy to get into it's like now now is the best time to get the heresy all the armies are redone we're ready to go let's get get people excited about it it's, it's funny because we're talking to um i don't know and you've got released today but other show that we recorded with andrew hollis and um jesse and jason and um bill you know one of the things that he said was go to kind of a do sort of what they do for 40k where you have sort of smaller books released more regularly to keep things more sort of up, up more current mm. um which you know does kind of seem like a good idea for, for heresy especially now like you say because now everything's lots of all the art legions are there um it does make it does sort of make sense but it, it's whether or not the, the player base would accept it or whether they would go no this is 
what we left out of the game because of. So why is it here now? And sort of that pushback. Fair point. Fair but that's, I mean, it's, yeah, I, and I don't disagree with you. I think it would be a good, you know, we're at a perfect stage for that. But my, my concern would be that we get ninth edition sort of complete rules shift as opposed to a tinkering. See, I think just to to pick up on what you've you've said there, Tom and and Chris, and not to to derail us too much, uh, yeah. I I think we're at a stage now, as you say, we've got we've got twenty legion, uh, twenty eighteen legions worth of rules, um, we've we've got a very strong foundation, and that most factions that are represented have rules now. Are they perfect? No, but that means that there's a, a good opportunity here to do a redux of the red books, um possibly even an update of the Age of Darkness rule set because we've got a couple of FAQs worth of changes to be incorporated into there. Um, so we can uh, tighten things up. Now, this is I, I spent yesterday afternoon rereading Betrayal, um, which is fantastic, but there's a good proportion of that book, which is dead weight now because the rules are they were written for 6th edition 40K, uh, so they're now yeah. well out of date. But if you can collect the stuff that's in the red books and then refine them and put them back out again i think they've been out long enough now that i certainly wouldn't grudge buying a new copy of a rule set yeah. if it allowed me to continue to game for say another four or five years and then you know we refresh and uh, and keep it going that way and that i think could be the reset that it needs along with um some form of starter bundle set something uh which i know we've sort of seen with with prospo and yeah. uh, prospero and calf but i think being realistic they were board games that had miniatures that we used as starter sets they were not starter sets yeah. so if we had something that was a dedicated one hq two troops type thing or something but i, I think that we've seen over the last few years that gw and forge world are listening even if they don't necessarily hear or react as fast as we in the community might like them to so the, the conversation has been that there's a whiteboard with four years worth of stuff so if they're working on a four years worth behind cycle you know it's yeah that's kind of where we have to sort of think of ourselves as being every time we come up with an idea there's a community it'll happen but it'll just take you know four christmases for it to happen yeah and um well, I think I think the other thing that, that we have to bear in mind uh, with all of these systems, actually, uh, whether it's any of the ones we talked about tonight or any other game systems that are out there, at the end of the day, the companies that produce these games are businesses. So as well as trying to do something that will please the community, they are doing something that ultimately they want to make money with. Yeah. And you'd hope that those two circles would overlap a lot of the time but sometimes you've got to make business decisions that might not make sense to the community because we don't see the entire picture or um uh, looking at things like release schedules um you know there's there's things like the uh the content car terminators that we saw previewed earlier this year which haven't appeared yet but we we don't know that maybe it's the the fact that the production of those is taking longer than they anticipated because they're wanting to get enough good quality casts to be able to not have to replace things or it could just be that COVID has knocked out the release schedule to the extent that they've got them sitting there but they can't get them into the warehouse for distribution or something we, we just don't know um yeah but it's very unlikely that anybody's sitting on a big pile of gold rubbing their hands together being like, what can i do to aggravate night lords players now because they want to make money from us <laughs> so yeah I, mean, I think you're right because a lot of 
it's a hobby for us you know i think that's sort of a, a, it's a, it's a good point you raise actually is that because it's a hobby for us we, we i think people view it as a hobby for them as well for the company you know they don't it's very hard sometimes i think for players to think um logically and strategic business sort of sense yeah. um about things you know we we all you know we've all looked at something that gw or ffg or someone have put up and gone but why isn't it now and there's a reason why it's not now because <laughs> they need something for the third quarter of the year yeah. so that they can keep that they can keep that uh the, the bottom line ticking over mm-hmm. in that quarter um you know it's probably the, the reason why as we're doing the two things in a pack to annoy me you know it's not <laughs> just it's not just to annoy me it's because someone somewhere has decided that actually that's the best way for them to make money off of the game is by you know the market research has led them to think that if we shift two people in this well they're going to definitely buy this pack because it's got at least one person that they want um and ultimately they don't care if you waste your money on the other one which is why you all need to go out and buy the new <laughs> orc model so that you hear that what the people want. Is so Tom Gorka. gets Gorka Morka. Yeah. We'll, we'll start that campaign uh, from from next month. We'll make a big thing on the on the main show to start pushing oh uh, <laughs> your, your Gorka Morka wishes. And I need it so badly. You need to have the like do do a cheer going into the section. So it's like Gorka Morka. Gorka, Morka, it's the Tom Gorka, Morka, or something like that. Yeah. And, then, and anybody who hasn't listened to this podcast will not know what that means. Well, there's an extension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a new Necron book out for 40k, not the Codex, the the fluff book, which is actually really good, um, really enjoyable, like funny, well written. Highly recommend it if you like 40k generally. But there's also an extended Gorka Morka sequence in it, and it is both beautiful and a knife to the heart. <laughs> I mean, the books books are always a, a good fun um, thing to, to to scratch itches in in miniature wargaming. I think you know, it'll give you that fix at least until you know your dream comes true in twenty twenty three. Tom, I mean, living for the day. Well, this <laughs> is this is the thing. So we t- they're talking about a whiteboard. And we're running a few years behind in terms of where the development is. So looking back over the last few years, when when did we we had the run into the Adeptus Sororitas range, which was begun with the um, initial sculpt of the sister based on the piece of artwork done as one of the collectible series. So I'm not I'm not saying that this is definitely what's happening. But if we look at other launches of ranges, they have been presaged by a collector series miniature and then down the line there has been something else and i think with the resurgence of this and the success of the resurgence of the specialist games that gw have done so mm-hmm. we, had, we had blood bowl in 2016 which has just had the second edition uh, recently with necromunda we've got titanicus um they're they're obviously seeing that there is a market for these games not just from people who played them back in the day and, and want new versions back again but also as yeah ways for people to get into their gaming uh well into the into the hobby and into into buying their products um but also maybe scra- scratching those itches for for people so um Gorka Moka could be one of those ones again that they 
recognize as a as a huge fan base for but also could we do something different to any of our other game systems explore something new but use some of the mechanics that are similar to other systems so i would imagine they'll probably incorporate the ballistic skill weapon skill target figures uh like they, they do in necromunda and 40k and have have done in in blood ball now which i actually think it makes it a lot easier don't get me wrong like there's something nostalgic about looking up values in a table but equally if you're just looking at what you need to do to roll the dice and then modifying it makes it a lot faster and you can focus on the game instead of the rules um so it could well be that that, that's the direction we're heading in and and, you know it wouldn't be the first time that they've very heavy-handedly taken a piece of artwork like that gorkamoka cover tied that to a miniature tied it back to a games day miniature from 1997 and then that's them sort of being like haha if you knew what we knew um, with um you raised with with blood bowl with this sort of thing is it very different because I, I played a handful of games uh, literally only a handful of games of the old blood bowl my friend um sid is a, a very hardcore blood bowl player he plays competitively goes to all the big tournaments and stuff um is is 2.0 very different to the original one i'm just sort of so i curious i have i have read the rule book a couple of times and i wouldn't wouldn't say that i am qualified to comment on it in any level of detail but to me it feels very much like a polish of the rules and tweaking things to make it easier to play so what i i, I love blood bowl but one of the things that i found that, uh, and not not so long ago i i got my other half to give it a try and said it was, it was quite enjoyable uh, it was very chaotic but it took a long time and there was quite a lot of backwards and forwards of looking things up sure. so um the so having having target numbers to roll instead of having your move uh, your um passing ability or your agility being three and then having to try to remember what that means you need to roll they've just straight up given you a target number to roll so if your agility is three plus that's what you need to roll but then modifiers are applied to the dice roll so if you need a three up but it's got minus two to it and you roll a two then you subtract two from that and you've got one and you fail the sure the check um they've also pulled together quite a lot of stuff that was spread out across the uh, spike magazines now i actually really i loved the spike magazines i thought they were really cool um because even though i didn't buy every single team i think i bought all of the spike magazines because it was it was like extra content and there yeah. was a lot in there that added to it um so it pulls together quite a lot of stuff that was spread out um and I think it gives a sensible jumping off point again for them to now do another season that lasts a few years and then look at where things are and incorporate feedback. So it's not a sea change, but it is, it's not just change for change's sake, I don't think. Yeah, I think with, with a game like Blood Bowl, because of a sport, and the sports tend to work in seasons, um, I suppose it gives them the opportunity to apply that sort of seasons approach to it for tweaks and rule changes and things mm-hmm. like that um, probably more easily than it would sort of a lot of other games i, th- I think so um there's also uh, in the in the book and i would recommend finding this online if you can there's quite a, a funny call out um that sort of says that uh, even in the blood bowl game world there are people who will have arguments about rules as written versus rules as interpreted uh, uh, and and some people got very angry that GW had made a joke about that in some Facebook groups, but I thought it was hilarious that they're acknowledging 
you know, it's a meta joke. Oh, that absolutely. It's, it's acknowledging this this uh, real life phenomenon. Um, yeah, that yeah, was. That was uh, if you're getting annoyed about that, then you know, everyone knows it goes on. Everyone's had some conversation about rules as written, rules as intended. I mean, Graham almost went blue in the face uh, sort of last month in a conversation with Mister B about something. <laughs> uh, rules as written, rules as intended. I had to apologise afterwards in our in our in our chat. But I think if you're getting annoyed about games workshop calling out rules as written, rules as intended, you're taking life far, far too seriously. I mean <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's part of the game ultimately. I have never played a single game of football, but right now I'm painting the necromantic horror team. Nice. Oh, very cool. I mean, do that, really that is cool. a game that has some great models. They are some great miniatures, those uh, Blood Bowl models. So, and, so Tom... I love that as 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 the, as it's gone on from the launch of the what was it, the fifth edition, the last one. Was it uh, I think so. Or, yes. Whatever the last edition, um, they've slowly gone and gone more and more ridiculous because they realised that's what Blood Bowl's supposed to be—a mm. little bit ridiculous. I, th- I think it's really cool. This is another uh, like calling back to what we were talking about earlier with the Underworlds warbands being archetypal of mm. a faction and a small selection of models. And that's what I was going to ask you there, Tom. Did did you buy them because they were cool models and you wanted to give them a paint and they called out to you that way? Or was it a, this is a way for me to maybe get some toe in the game? Well, so I looked up, like, because Blood Bowl has, like, the tier system for teams and stuff, which if you want to wear, it's like how competitive they actually are. So, like, I looked up, are these guys, like, unplayable, or do I need to be a super expert Blood Bowl coach or something? And it's like, they're, no, they're middle of the pack, and it's, like, great, because I... Sorry, I've done it again. I love these models. They look so cool. They are so characterful. Yeah. They're not something you would get even in, like... You wouldn't get these in any of GW's other systems, it feels like. It feels like that with a lot of the Blood Bowl teams. It's like, yes, You're not it's something recognised. not Scarecrow guy, are you, in anything no, else? but he's wicked, and the pumpkin-headed ghoul guy is wicked, and Very they've got cool. their own style that is so... I don't think I would do an army of these for AOS, and they don't, they don't really fit, even with that very like high fantastical aesthetic. These are, But there's something super exciting about this guy and their aesthetic and that's why i wanted to get them it's like i want the pumpkin head ghoul i want the sheet ghost with this mm. he's got socks attached to this watching line that he's <laughs> sort of like is holding him up and it's like yeah this is and that, like it's also that going back to that competitive point i am not going to be a competitive blood bowl player i'm not probably going to be a competitive anything gw or any other game system player because i don't I don't get in the reps fundamentally. Like I don't play enough of any one game often enough to be brilliant at it. Um, so I can relax. I can pick this middle of the road team that I really want to enjoy playing. I can have a fun time playing them and not worry too much about the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can enjoy painting them because you know, they're something very different. There's no point of the process. You're not going to enjoy um, exactly. Ultimately, which is always a win. Yeah, as as Michael says, they are the most sort of fantastical of uh, GW's models. They must be by some stretch. Um, that scarecrow, the the, the pumpkin headed scarecrow guy, I think is the favourite that I've seen so far. Just quickly perusing through the 
the range of teams that are available. I think Blood Bowl is another interesting one in terms of, um, I, I know I talk about this or have talked about this quite a lot and, and folks who know me will know I talk about this too, but I think you know, we are, everybody has a finite amount of disposable income, so you, you can't spend money on everything that comes out. But Blood Bowl, again, you you can pick up the rule book, you can pick up a team and a dice set and that's you ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need you need a pitch as well, um, but you can buy pitches separately, or if you've got somebody who's got a core set. And I think that's another really clever thing with the with the um, change from season one to season two, uh, the, the most recent version of the rules, is that the pitches and dugouts and everything are consistent, they're the same size, they didn't change anything there. So if you uh, have the um, previous season stuff, you just need the rule book and you can carry on playing. Um. So the, the buy-in is quite low, but as you say, the models are, are exquisite. And if you're a painter, you can go to town on them because it's a small squad. Um, if you're a, a gamer, they're effectively push-fit, easy to build uh, in some cases. Others, they're a wee bit more complex. But again, they've, they've factored in all of the things that might draw you in and given you a, a full-on suite of different teams with different play styles, different tiering. So if you want to be hyper-competitive, you want to go for a tier one. Um, I, have, I have one team for Blood Bowl. I, when Blood Bowl came out, I decided I was going to buy everything. And about a third of the way into the releases, I was like, this is insane. I cannot sustain this. I'm never going to paint all of the stuff that I'm buying. Uh, so I narrowed it down to one team. So I have a Chaos Chosen team, which is fully painted. And... Um, in my to-do pile for this year, uh, because of the new rules um, coming out, there's two new big guys which are accessible to them. Um, that was one of the other changes, actually, with star, star players weren't getting used a lot, and big guys were quite restricted for some teams, so they've made some changes to, to make them more accessible. So I'm planning on painting up a Chaos Ogre using one of the, the Fire Mountain Gutbusters models to add a big guy, and I've also got an Armored Troll, which... Um, I had somebody do some sculpting work on to get rid of the severed leg. Uh, the Forge World Armor Troll is wielding a severed leg like a club, and I didn't really like that. So I've had it redone, so it looks like he's about to do a massive overhand smash onto somebody. Um, and so you you can, you know, you build a squad, and then that's that's all you need. But if you want to, you could start another team, or if you've got something, you know, a different play style that, that you're looking at, you can go down that road if you want to. Um, and But you My don't need... Fine. Buying for this game has cost me twenty quid. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it's just is, work out. It's, it's you know twenty five quid for not a, a team, isn't it? Yeah. Things like that. So, yeah. so if you if you put that next to something else, so uh, I know we can't get to the cinema at the moment, but if you if you you and your other half or a friend were to go to the cinema, you're probably looking at around about twenty quid for a couple of tickets and some popcorn and parking and, and juice. For a couple of hours of entertainment. Oh, you, you live up north, I can tell. <laughs> um, so if, if, if you sat them side by side, you've got a couple of hours. Now, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm saying that, that for 25 quid to get you a team that you can play with, you can paint with, you can use multiple times. And at the end of it, if you decide they're not for you, you can probably sell them and recoup some of your money. It's not bad for a, a buy-in. And also, it's got that off option of expansion. You know, there are the yeah, the, the Forge World bits and pieces. If you want them, there are you know other little bits. You know, it's, exactly. it's not a game that you're sort of like Tom says. You know, you can start at twenty six quid. You can go as crazy as you want. 
Um, GW know they got me in for 26 quid, but I'm already yeah. I've not not played a game, and I'm already looking at that the undead dwarf dude they're releasing I think next month. It's like, is he good? Is he bad? Is yeah. he, like I I can't read his profile at the moment, can, but it's fine. Give me his rules. Just tell yeah. me so I can give you the money. I don't even need the rules because I don't know, I don't know the rules. Like, yeah. <laughs> just what my dude. Yeah. Let's see, because what's you know, thirty yeah. quid for the rules, you know, nine quid for dice, yeah, sixty quid for to basically get you up and running, and you know, as much green paint as you can buy for a fiver, I suppose, and you're sorted. But I think, I mean, I, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, no, I was no, just going to say it's it's interesting. So we 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 talked a wee bit earlier on about about some of the other companies that are uh, descended from. Uh, GW by virtue of of staffers who've gone on to found different studios, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I calling out uh, Warlord Games uh, recently previewed uh, an American Civil War game that they are launching in February, uh, which is, um, they're calling it Epic Battles, but it's 15 millimeter scale miniatures uh, as strips of infantry, allowing you to recreate on a larger scale than you would with 28 millimeter. Effectively, they're doing epic, but for black powder era gaming. Okay. Um, but what they've done is they've produced a starter set, and I think it's 19 quid from them. So if you were buying it from, say, Element or out, or the Outpost or a, a local gaming store that offered a discount, it's probably about 70 quid or so. But it's got everything you need to start playing. So it's got two armies. It's got the rule book. It's got some scenery i think or maybe that's the pre-order bundle but they've obviously picked up that this this model works for gw and it works for other companies if you have a starter set that's got everything you need to get two people playing the game you're off and then people will buy those extras on top um but it's also it's it's offering you something new now i i don't I've dabbled in historical wargaming. It's not an avenue I've explored a lot, but again, it's maybe something. It's something that a couple of us are looking up here in terms of um, possibly giving it a go. Um, but it's it's that if you provide something that lets people get into it, and then the buy-in's uh, quite low overall, you're golden, and people are going to buy it. And it's not going to appeal to everybody, but you know. The, you've got something that will probably sell. Um, and you, you, you're seeing that kind of core set idea pop up in so many places now that it's enough to get you playing out the box and entice you to buy more if you want to take it further. Um, but otherwise, what you've got in the box works fine and you might treat it more like a board game than a, yeah. a miniatures game that needs expansions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Box sets, you know, have become sort of. You know, it, it used to be a case that you would buy a box set and that would be your starting point. Well, actually, now a box set is, as we're talking about the Heresy game, the, the Heresy box sets, they weren't starter sets; they were a game. And I think people are realizing yeah. that actually, that's um, that, that's the way to do it. Have it as a self-contained thing, and it can be applied. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 it's, it's uh, like you say, it's, it's strange how. Um, it's not strange, but it's, it's interesting how different places have taken that approach differently. But talk about the, the, the saying about the American system and um, what we do here with the various war, the various GW inspired places. It just makes you wonder. 
how much of a how different um, it could all be if GW hadn't been <laughs> hasn't been hadn't been the sort of the trendsetter for so long. How many different ways about the, the games the hobby system could be now? It's quite weird when you think about the influence that they've had on everything. It's quite scary, actually. But yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, I think that's probably about us done. We've been going for about an hour and a half. So, I mean, um, before we go, is there anybody who's got a, a, a project for next year that they're going to be working on that's, that is something that they haven't done before? Well, so as I, as I mentioned, um, a couple of us locally are looking at this this um, American Civil War game from Warlord, which, yeah. um, well, so I read a really interesting article uh, on Goonhammer recently about historical gaming, because obviously there are some periods of history which contain contentious issues or very sensitive subjects, uh, and um, they need to be handled in a very careful way, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the the Civil War for me feels like a potentially problematic era to be gaming in because uh, obviously one side was fighting to preserve slavery and the other side was not. Um, but one of the upshots of historical war gaming is that it can actually inspire you to do a lot of research into historical events and recreating things accurately. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. Um, so potentially looking at at, at uh, some union troops for this American Civil War game um, and also the historical research into this 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 era of history um, is something that I'm, I'm contemplating uh, and then as I mentioned earlier on um, possibly some Battlefleet Heresy with some some Vanguard ships if I can cool. settle on a, a, a Legion probably the Fists because that appeals from having read and, and re-listened to Soul of War on audiobook recently um, you can hear Chris uh, going yes in the back. I don't, I don't know what you mean. I know I'm, I'm always welcome, always welcome new people into the into the Legion. You know, it's, it's a very sensible place to be. <laughs> yeah. well, what about you, Tom? So the thing I'm going to go in on. Well, I've started going in on, but is a is actually the Middle Earth stuff. I never Ooh, really got nice. into the game as a kid. Like I loved the films, loved the books, mm-hmm. um, but never for whatever reason, just like never fell in with the game. And like as with most GW edits, I did actually buy the Pelennor Fields box set when it came out, um, and it's been sat on the shelf. But as I've been watching the new 4K editions basically on repeat because I'm locked in my own <laughs> home, so that's fine. <laughs> and it's just like. I'm going to dig these models out and I'm going to buy the Forge World Nazgul, which I've been looking at for for years. And we're just going to go needlessly deep on having some yeah. cool models for a narrative system. Yeah. Uh, Rob, never... Rob was just saying, Rob was just saying yesterday he managed to get all six films on 4K on Apple TV for 30 quid. Yeah. So I've been watching all six films on repeat and at classic, again, like here's the GW model, right? Of like, I've got 20 Army of the Dead and the King of the Dead and the Herald, and I've like they'll be super quick. I'll probably have those done by the end of this year, painted up. But next year, yeah. Hunter Orcs, Nazgul, the Necromancer. Nice. Maybe a cheeky little bit of Iron Hills. 
fancy Ooh, a dwarf. Ooh, wow. Fancy some expensive resin forge old models. Of course, I, I, of course I, I actually I have a stash of Iron Hills dwarves because they are gorgeous models. Um, every I just want Billy Conley on a pig. <laughs> well, yeah, who doesn't? That's who doesn't great. want Billy Conley on a pig? Um, the mid the Middle Earth one actually is it's really interesting. So f- I we recently rewatched the um, the the War for the Ring trilogy. Um, oh, sorry, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, the extended versions for well, we rewatched them, but I had never seen the extended versions in full before, <gasps> and it reawakened in me the love for the miniatures range. Um, and every so often, I so, so I've got I've got a handful of models. I've got some Iron Hills dwarves stashed away. I've got a couple of the brigands from the, the Shire, and um, who else have I got? I've got Helm. Uh, as well from um, Helm Hammerhand because they were absolutely gorgeous sculpts. Mm. Um, they are also potentially in the pile to start looking at, but as one-offs again, um, you know, exploring things like texture and, and trying to recreate that realism that the studio have got that fits so well with the the palette that the film uh, the film series has established for Middle Earth with you know the the sort of level of realism and detail. But I'd highly recommend the Iron Hills towards their, their uh, I would I would recommend to you listening to the extended soundtracks as well. Okay. On a yeah. on a on a Lord of the Rings binge here. Listening to the extended so um there's the one with the charge of the Raharim for Return of the King. And it's the basically the one piece of music I listen to pretty much every morning as I'm walking towards work. Because it puts me in the right frame of mind for what I'm about to face every day. But it's, Lord of the Rings is a game that sort of myself, Michael, Graham have, have talked about probably most, mostly in the early part of this year about getting involved in it in some way and we were going to buy box sets and split them and stuff. And it, I've painted an army, I'm ready. Well, yeah, no, yeah. No, I, I mean, I can't, I can never decide which one. I, want. I either want to do Rohirrim or I want to do the elves. I can't decide between the you two. You want to do the Rohirrim, mate. You know you I do. I, I know I do. I, I, I do as well. It's very appealing. It is. I I really want to do Rohirrim as well. Bayardin, Aema, Eowyn, the new plastic models. They've done them. Just next level. Absolutely. Even the old... old, um, In my head the entire time. Yeah, even the old plastic Rohirrim riders are just really nice. Do you know, it's interesting you say that, Michael, and I know that you're you're trying to get rid of us to finish up, but just... On that note, the, so the Rohirrim, um, those models are the exact same ones that they the Perry's sculpted back in when the films came out. Yeah, yeah, they and are. They haven't they changed, st- and they still look. Well, they still look absolutely amazing. Now you can you can tell when you buy them that the molds are starting to get on the tired side because there is the occasional yeah. slip, and the mold lines are much more pronounced now. But mm-hmm. when you've cleaned them up and when you see them painted. They look as good now as they. I mean, they're what nearly twenty years old, I think. Yeah. Like that. But and yeah, that, the films have just been either finished or halfway through, weren't they? So yeah. they've got at least yeah twenty years. But, but that's a testament to those Perry sculpts as, as to how well they stand up. And I think, but I think it's also really good how or how, sorry, I'll start again. It's also fantastic how the newer sculpts like Mary and Pippin and the new Aemer sit next to them and look like they were done at the same time you know there's that coherency yeah. across the ranges of middle earth that even those older models uh, they stand up to the test of time in a way that some of the uh, the other ranges don't 
definitely. No, yeah, definitely, definitely. just yeah, twenty year difference in the sculpts that you wouldn't like. Say you wouldn't tell the difference, would you really? Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? You got any other games that you're looking at this year? Well, I say that you know there won't be something, but I'm sure something will cross our path at some point, and I'll end up spending far too much money and having to lie about it. Uh, sure, it'll be middle earth. Yeah, it probably will be middle earth. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what are these boxes? Oh, they're nothing. Uh, Don't worry. About this. Myself, I I do have some bolt action Germans. I really should get painted. Bolt action Germans. Okay. Yeah. I, I like. I, I'm, I'm not massively surprised by that, but that's another story. For Is that I before like, or after you I like finish the model, up the DKK stuff, Michael? You got uh, after I finish up the deck. After I finish the deck call. After I finish the deck call. But they're very similar. But the deck call aren't for me. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. You're doing those as a commissioner, aren't you? Yeah. But I like. I like. I. I just like the early Blitzkrieg models. They're really nice. But yeah, as you say, there's a degree of you really need to know the history and stuff behind it, rather than just playing it. It's be one of those armies that if I lose, I'll be happy. <laughs> well i think i mean i so i i totally would uh i would point you towards this article in fact actually when we when we finish up here i will try and find the link and i will we'll ping awesome. it to you guys yeah. so you can have a look because i think it's it's really interesting they got a panel together and they talk about some of the issues that are present in historical gaming and generally as long as you're not the guy that turns up playing germans wearing jack boots and a brown shirt you're probably okay. Uh, or the guy who turns up playing uh, a Japanese faction wearing a, a oh, you know, yeah. rising sun bandana and shouts banzai when, when you do charges and stuff. But it's about being sensitive to the fact that, you know, un- unlike 30K or Underworlds, none, none of the games that we talked about tonight have happened. Whereas <laughs> these are actual things that happened and there were some very, very problematic issues tied up in them that you just need to be sensitive to. So um, Definitely. But, I think it allows us to explore those uh, as well as having those what if scenarios um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, and people have been wargaming for generations on those what if type scenarios. So there's nothing inherently bad about it as long as you're sensitive to some of the things that surround it. Okay. All right. And on that note, I think that's uh, about time to um, put in. So thank you for joining me, guys. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Uh, scratches my itch to talk about other games for a while um and that was that was great so um cheers yeah, thanks for coming on guys thanks for taking the time to chat with us and um we'll no, see you in the brilliant. new year thanks thanks for having yeah. us and if we haven't all got some kind of middle earth painted miniatures by this time next year let's <laughs> <laughs> get a game right. going chris yeah, that's it. yeah yeah no, we'll sort something Absolutely. out um, no, honestly, thanks. Thanks for having having us on. And um, whatever you guys get up to for uh, Hogman Eight, I know we're all restricted and everybody's in the same boat of not really knowing what to do with themselves just now. But have a have a great Hogman Eight, and um, yeah, see you around in the new year. And hopefully, at some point next year, we'll be able to get back to rolling dice together and pushing models around tables. Absolutely. Oh, that's the yeah. plan. Can't that's wait to get to get back to one of your events. music does Gorka Morka listen to? A rock and roll.